morning, everybody, and welcome to the service. So firstly, a huge congratulations to anybody who's from South Africa. And uh, uh, yeah, Winnie's doing my head in with her sort of glee at the, at the win there. But yeah, it was a fantastic sporting occasion, wasn't it? And it was just lovely to hear the captain of the South African team speak about the power of unity in diversity. So that was a great moment. Um, and Will, who is staying in our house, I see him just coming in the door there, uh, was ecstatic, in tears, hugging people in the street and uh, all around our house as well. So we'll give him a round of applause when he comes in here. <laughs> That's for the South African team, by the way, Will. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Well done. That is great. Okay. Well, if you've got your order service, do uh, open them at the fr or go to the front, please, uh, because I couldn't think of anything better just to uh, introduce our service because we're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know that the boys and girls are looking at the idea of power source, as you see there. Uh, where does our source of power come from? And Acts chapter 1 says our source of power comes from the Holy Spirit you will receive, the power, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And, and the question is, what is that power for? And it's for, of course, what is above it, to stay and share Jesus making disciples, because we are to be witnesses, and that power comes so that we might be witnesses. And it's not an easy task. Uh, we live in a world that is against us, uh, that there are spirits, as John 4 talks about. And so the next one says, God's Spirit is in you and is more powerful, greater than, it says in the NIV, than the one who is in the world. So that's what we're going to hear about today, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, who is our power source, so that we can be witnesses to Jesus Christ, that we can do what we have decided that God wants us to do in this church, and that even though it's a difficult task, that we have that power within us. And uh, so we're going to open our service and we're going to come and worship. And we're going to focus not primarily on the Holy Spirit at, the, at this moment in time, because the Holy Spirit focuses us on Jesus. And this is a lovely hymn, Meekness and Majesty. Majesty is a powerful word, but meekness is a grace-filled word. And as we sing, let us think about the person of the Lord Jesus. So let's stand to worship. Well, I don't know how that sounded to you, but it sounded very good up here um, that you were in really good voice. So let's just bow our heads. Let's talk to God in prayer. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this beautiful song about the person of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you that he is majestic in the true meaning of that word, that he reigns, that he is sovereign, and that he has power to do what he says. And Father, we thank you that the, he does not exercise that power in a harsh way or a domineering way, but with humility and with meekness. I thank you that he's always interested in us, that he takes time to know us and to understand us, and that, Father, that he is gentle and merciful and forgiving. And, Father, you know that we need forgiven. You know that as we've walked through this, this world this week, that as we've been saying, our feet have got dirty. They've got dirty in uh, our play as children. They've got dirty in the words that we've said, the attitudes that we've had, maybe the uh, things that we've watched or the things that we've done, maybe the things that we haven't done, all, all of those things. We just know, Lord, that we are not clean and that we are not righteous. But Father, you are clean, and you are righteous, and you wash us. 
And Father, it is a beautiful thing. And we thank you for that deep sense of worthiness and cleanliness and goodness and love that washes over us and makes us into your children. And Father, we thank you for the truth that that is who we are today, that we are your children, deeply loved. And Father, we pray that as we understand that, as we uh, want to live for you, we pray that we might receive and know more of the Holy Spirit today. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. We pray that you will fill us and refresh us and strengthen us so that we might be better witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you will help us as we leave this building, as we engage with the world around us, with family, with friends, with going back to school, uh, with going to university, with going to work, um, being in our neighborhood, that, Father, that we will look to and know the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit to make people aware of who Jesus is by that deep conviction and by that sense of revealing who he is. And so I pray, Father, that you will be with us in our service. We pray for Ray and for Ethan in particular, and for those who lead us in worship, for our Sunday special teachers, and for myself, that we will know an anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can lead this church and serve as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, so we want to turn to God's Word and uh, look at John's Gospel, chapter um, 15. I'm going to read from verse 26 of chapter 15. Um, again, it's about the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who's the counselor. Um, but I'll be really speaking from 5 to 15 uh, this morning, again, which is about the Holy Spirit. And we looked at this last week uh, while the folks were running around uh, Dublin in the marathon. And uh, I'll kind of recap on that a wee bit just be, uh, when it comes to the sermon time. But if you've got it there, so it should be page 1084. And... Uh, just for the boys and girls and others, the, the word counselor is uh, the word for the Holy Spirit, someone who helps us, who is an advocate. So let me read this. This is God's word, chapter 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a sacrifice to God. Isn't that an amazing statement? They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first, because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, and none, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he does. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, boys and girls, you're nicely at the front. Anybody who wants to come, and you're going to have Ray to come and speak to you today. Boys, boys and girls, good morning. Now, when I was reading this passage last week, two stories in my life came to mind, and I'm going to tell you about them. One just happened four weeks ago. I was coming back. I was coming back from Germany, and I was in the airport. And you know when you go through an airport, you have to pass through security. So I was standing in the security line. And I was fiddling around my pockets, putting things where they go. There was a woman, a young woman in front of me. And then just on the other side of the little tape barrier, there was another woman. And I heard her say, I have to go now. And the lady outside the barrier, the woman outside the barrier, she walked off a couple of steps. And I kept watching her. And she walked a little bit, and then she turned around and she gave a wave and pulled her way back. She went a little bit further, and she stopped, and she turned around. And the queue was moving quite slowly, so I was there. And then I could see the lady who was far away. Her face started to look really sad. And the next thing I could see, the lady in front of me, she was really sad. And I could see a little tear beginning to run down her cheek. And the other lady, the other woman, tear began to run down her cheek as well. She came running over. They didn't say anything. They gave, herself, they gave each other a big hug, and she went away again. Now, at this stage, I have a little lump beginning to form in my throat as well. What had happened was the lady in front was going away, and her friend was very sad. And that is exactly what happened when Jesus told the disciples, I am going to go away. They were really sad as well. They were so sad they couldn't speak. They couldn't ask him where was he going. But the important thing that Jesus said is, it is really good for you that I go, because when I go, I am going to send someone. I am going to send a counselor. Now, Different translations of the Bible use different words. When I was reading the Bible, when I, when I first became a Christian, it was the messenger and the message. It was the, the good news. And the good news, the word they use is, I'm going to send a helper. I thought, this is fantastic. God is going to send us a helper to help us with stuff. In the version that Sam just read, he's going to send us a counselor. And in the other NIV version, in the King James, it says a comforter. So this Holy Spirit who comes to us is capable of doing all these things. Second story. Second story goes back a long time. It's about 35 years ago. So I was much younger. I was much foolisher, as you will are about to discover. I was driving from Limerick to Dublin, and I was passing by a notorious place called Mount Rath, where there's a big, wide stretch of road, and everybody in the whole country knows that there's always a policeman with a speed gun in Mount Rath. Everybody in the whole country, except for me. I was driving along, and suddenly, out in front of me stood the policeman and put his hand up. Oops, I had been caught speeding. I pulled, this is a true story, I pulled into the side of the road. Strangely, the policeman did not come round to the driver's side of the car. He came round to the passenger side of the car and he opened the passenger door and he kneeled down and looked in and said, give me the radar detector. Now, some people will understand what that is. Back 35 years ago, you could buy a little gadget, and the little gadget would beep on your dashboard if there was a policeman with a speed gun. But sometimes the police were very clever, and they could figure out that you were using one of these things. So this policeman was very clever, and he said, give me the speed detector. So I very dutifully unplugged it and gave it to him. So he said, I'll see you in court. So. A couple of weeks later, the letter arrived, and it said, you have been summoned to court. And I was quite worried about this. I was really quite worried. I'd never been in court before. 
And I wasn't so worried about the speeding thing, but the radar thing I was a bit more worried about. And I had a friend who was a solicitor, and he said to me, you need somebody to advocate for you. There's that word again, advocate. So, and he says, the person you want to speak to is Mr. Collins. I remember his name 35 years later. Mr. Collins, will, will, uh, will, he is a lawyer. So I turned up in court in Mount Rath on the pro proper day, and Mr. Collins was there for me. Mr. Collins became my advocate. That means he explained to me everything that was going to go on. He told me what was going to happen. He, he explained the whole process to me. He was sitting beside me. I actually felt very comfortable that he was there to help me. So when my case came along, do you want to hear what happened? Yeah. <laughs> my case came along, and the judge, whatever number it was, Mr. Spear, and they, Mr. Collins, he stood up beside me and stood up and said, and we spoke to the judge and said, Mr. Spears, very, very apologetic, very sorry, he's here in court, you know, realizes the error of his ways, and he'll never do it again, and I never will do it again. <laughs> and the judge said, done. And I got, did I get sent to prison? I got 25 pounds fine, and I learned my lesson. But what's the important thing? The important thing is I had someone there beside me to help me, to explain to me, to tell me what was going on. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. He, he reveals truth. He helps us to understand the Bible. And he helps us to understand the way God wants us to live. And this week, this month, the theme in, in, in Sunday Special is, is the, the Holy Spirit, the source of our power. And that's our Bible, that's our, our, uh, Bible verse as well. So thank you for listening. Done, everybody. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Katie. Uh, boys and girls, you're free to go uh, to Sunday Special K2. For service, folks, we'll just go through these announcements. If you're visiting with us, you're very welcome. I did. I know maybe there's some other South Africans have come in. We just want to, co to congratulate you on the win. It was a great win and uh, a powerful statement for unity, so we're, we're, we're really delighted by that. Now, next Sunday, um, uh, these things have kind of coalesced in this way. We're going to be looking at the next part in John chapter 16, which is in joy and peace, uh, sort of aspects of what the Holy Spirit produces. It's also Remembrance Sunday, and Andrew Whiteside uh, will be doing an act of remembrance uh, Gabriel will be baptized, that's the infant son of Kirsty and Anish Pillai, and we will also celebrate communion. So uh, it's a lot happening, and uh, we appreciate your prayers, and it would be great to have many of you at church uh, next Sunday. Uh, we have the prayer ministry uh, at the front of the, uh, uh, the church here beside the organ, so if you want to be um, uh, prayed for in any way, uh, confidentially, then please come to the front. Uh, we've been uh, advertising a congregational meeting that will take, you know, to take place after the service. Um, I have to report to you as, uh, as the church that the elders have been unable to agree how best to do this. And so we're asking for your patience and your mercy on us as elders as we take this back to session at our meeting next Tuesday and we will consider the way ahead. Now, the Sunday Special and K2 Leaders meeting is taking place tomorrow night at 7.45 on the second floor. And you will see as well that we've had to postpone the Living Well meeting on the 16th of November. Uh, the reason for that is that the funeral service for Jonathan Mitchell, uh, who will be, uh, he is in Sweden and will be buried, uh, cremated there, uh, but there will be a, a service uh, for uh, Thanksgiving for his life in Rathgar Presbyterian Church. And I believe that's at 11 a.m. And so we've postponed uh, the Living Well event to enable as many people as possible to go to that. And I would want to encourage you to do that. 
Um, International Cafe is on the 8th of November again, uh, going well at the moment. Do encourage others to come and pray for that. And uh, this November, Nativity, Knit and Natter. Um, we're in November, so that's this Wednesday, the 6th of November, 2 to 4 p.m. in the manse. And you can see there, if you size three needles, please bring them along. Wool will be provided as well. So great, just a chance to meet together, to chat, and to produce a nativity set, uh, which I'm sure that we'll be giving away to some, somebody in, in some situation. So I think those are all the announcements that I have. Um, I mean, I chose this hymn not really, I mean, I just, just felt we wanted to sing a hymn, and it's really appropriate. It's a heartwarming hymn. It's got gracious words, and it's so necessary for us in the church. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. So let's stand to worship. Friend, we... Well, we're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit and in John chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, do open them and we'll walk through this passage. And as you do that, I will pray for the Lord's help. <coughs> Father, we thank you that we've been able to uh, hear of this, the beauty of the provision of the Holy Spirit and of that very powerful image of just being beside us. And in the scriptures, of course, the Holy Spirit is within us. And we thank you for that advocate, and we pray that he will come and help us to understand your word this morning, and that, Father, that we will be challenged and encouraged by you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I th if you um, have been following along, we have, um, at the end of chapter 14, they've left the upper room. Uh, it says there, come now, let us leave. They're actually walking, in, in, in light of the other Gospels, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we've been reminded that they're full of grief, like uh, Ray was illustrating the, the, the two ladies were. Um, and because he is announced, and if you go to 1333, uh, that he is leaving. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He repeats it in 14.25, he repeats it in 16.5, and he repeats it in 16.10. I am going to him who sent me. So their leader, their savior, their Lord, and their inspiration is going away, and he's going to the Father in heaven. Just before that, he reminds them that they will be hated, thrown out of the synagogue. People actually will kill you and think that they're offering a service to God. And I asked the question last week, why would anyone hate Jesus? He was loving, he was giving, and he was a servant to all. And the answer actually is that because Jesus speaks the truth and Satan speaks lies, See, Jesus is the true way, and Satan's way is wrong. Jesus brings eternal life, and Satan's way brings death. And I illustrated that last week by an, sort of uh, an allegiance, of transfer of allegiance. And I know it might be hard, but I am a Manchester City supporter, and I wanted you to imagine that I am now wearing the red of Manchester United, and that I have become overnight a Manchester United supporter. That is a change of allegiance. And it would, if I were sincere about my allegiance to Man United, produce a profound change in my life, my time, my money, who I would be friendly with, and my attitudes to my former loyalty would be completely changed. I'd be supporting the red half of Manchester and not the blue half. And actually, the cost would be great. It would be great among those supporters because I would no longer have the same time for them. I would have no longer be able to be with them in the way that I wanted to be before. And some of them, of course, would be gentle with me. They'd just say, that's, that's okay, you can do that, I, I have no issue. 
Some of them maybe perhaps would be just annoyed. Some of them might even be violent. And if they saw me in a gang with the red and the blue area, they might beat me up, etc., etc. That is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And that means that every other way is not. And when we tell the world that, as Jesus told the world that, they hated him. And as it says there in verse 25 of chapter 15, they hated me without reason because he's speaking the truth. And we also saw that Jesus understands. And this is lovely, really, because he always provides for, these, for his children, for his disciples, so that they can continue to live. So as we, we learned, as we walk in a sinful world, he forgives their sins, pictured by the wa- washing of their feet. They're feeling left alone, so he says, I will provide for you a mansion in heaven, a home, a heavenly home that will give you hope. And he says, even though I'm going away, if you look at the beginning of this passage, 5, 6, and 7, he says, even though I'm going away and you're filled with grief, I will give you a provision, a helper, an advocate, a counselor. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 7. It says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. So what he is about to give in the person of the Holy Spirit is actually for our good. And we say, well, how so? How is it good? And the reality is that the coming of the Holy Spirit, his presence within us, means that he has an ability to be in numerous places at once. That's one thing. But I think what John is primarily at here, what John is primarily speaking about, is that this is the beginning of salvation history, as it were, of a new beginning, as it were, I should say. It's the beginning of the kingdom of God. It's something that the prophets have spoken about, about the age of the Spirit. I just looked up a few references. Isaiah 11, that we read at Christmas, that there would be a shoot that would come from David's line. And what did it say about that shoot? He would be full of the Holy Spirit. You have that fantastic picture in Ezekiel, chapter 36 and 37, of these dead bones coming to life because they hear the word of God and because the Spirit of God enters into them. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a renewal of life. And not only does their life come, but their hearts change. They're no longer hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. And of course, in John chapter 3, Jesus speaks of the need for, the, for Nicodemus, a religious man, to be born again or born of God. And ultimately, in chapter 7, and I'll just read this to you. You can look at it if you want. Chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this promised coming of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is about to be fulfilled. And it's a good thing, because it brings the salvation and the kingdom of God to bear upon the whole world. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in verses 8 to 11 and 12 to 15. So firstly, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. I don't have PowerPoints this week so um, because it's mainly, there are not many pictures as it were. So the Holy Spirit's work in the world, verses 8 to 11. These are difficult verses. And I've worked hard, I tried to work hard to understand them. And I think their focus is primarily about Jesus. So firstly, he talks about sin. You see that in verse 9? So let me just read this. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit work is the conviction of sin. And that makes us uncomfortable. So the NIV, you see in verse 8, talks about guilt. But that isn't in the original text But it is certainly implied. That's what he does. That's what conviction does. It brings a sense of guilt. And that's what Jesus was doing in his ministry. 
It's evident, actually. It is very clear when you read it that he forces a division. He causes, you know, he causes people, some people believe in him, some people don't believe in him. Some people believe his word, some people don't believe his word. And that's where we need the clarifying clause. This is how you read these things. So in regard to sin, verse 9, because men, because people, we should say, do not believe in me. So the conviction in sin is primarily about unbelief. The pinnacle of unbelief is not believing in Jesus, not believing what he says, not believing in his view of life, not believing that he is the truth. And that is not neutral. That is what we need to get in our heads. That is the difficulty here. Chapter 3, verse 18 of this same, of this same book. Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And in chapter 7 and verse 7, it says, The world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. That's what Jesus did. He brought conviction. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're not following me, you are wrong. And the world doesn't like it. And the problem that the disciples have, of course, is that Jesus is going away. The question is, who will do his work? And if it were to fall to us, it would be an incredible burden. In fact, it's something we could never do. But Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will do this work for you. Otherwise, people will never see their sin. People will never understand their own hearts. And that word convict, is a, it's got many meanings, actually. It means to expose, as you see at your footnotes, to reveal, to make known. It helps the blind to see, the wayward to come back, and it leads from condemnation to salvation. That's what happened in the life of the prodigal son. It's what happened with Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. And it's happened to every single one of us who's a believer. At some stage in our lives, we've been aware of sin. So the Holy Spirit's work is to awaken individuals to their guilt before God concerning the person, work, and words of the Lord Jesus for the purpose of saving them and bringing them from condemnation to salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, he does righteousness in verse 10. Now, if you're reading this and wondering what does it mean, then you're in good company. I read at least three, three books about this, and I found two very different views on this. And I'm going to stick with the one that I think works with the clause here. So in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. If you're like me when you read that, you haven't a clue what that means. And that was exactly where I was when I started with this. So the idea that I, I believe is the right idea here is that Jesus is leaving his disciples. Why is he leaving them? He's leaving them because he has died. And he has been resurrected. And he has been ascended into heaven. And the righteousness or the rightness of him has been proven by that fact. Because he said before it happened, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise three days later. And I'm going to go to the Father. So he has been proven to be right. So, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So his words have been proven to be true. And it secondly, it vindicated him. Because the, in theological terms, the Father rose him by the power of the Spirit from dead because he had actually paid the price for our sins. That's why he died. He didn't die because of his own sin. He died because of our sin. And God vindicated him. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, he appeared in the flesh, 
was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached upon the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up to glory. So that's what he does. He teaches us that Christ is right, that Christ is real. He convinces us of the righteousness. He confirms in our hearts that Jesus was right in everything and was proven to be so. He was right in his words. He was right in his actions. He was right in who he was. And he was right in what was accomplished. And with such a deep conviction of the rightness of Christ and a deep conviction of the sin of our own hearts, we have nowhere to go but to the Savior who is Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, in verse 11, in regard to judgment. It's interesting that Ray chose his judicial sentence because this is what this is all about. Um, You know, it was a judgment on him. It was a verdict. And he is found to be guilty. Um, And that's what's happening here as well. That's how you read this in regard to judgment. So what's the clause? Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We've already seen in chapter 12 and verse 31 and 1430 that the prince of this world is the devil or Satan. And actually... the world follows him in that sense. It owes him that allegiance. And so the Holy Spirit's work is to convince us and to convict the world that the devil is a liar, that he is deceitful, and that he has been defeated. That's what it says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Condemnation belongs to those who follow the world and Satan. And we hear that in Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross. So when you put that all together, the world needs to know the truth of the facts relating to Jesus Christ. The disciples' problem was, as I've said, that Jesus was going away and they had no way of convicting the world about the reality of Jesus when he was gone. Jesus says that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to continue in the world. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin regarding the person and character of Jesus Christ. And also about the rightness of his words and actions, particularly in the cross and resurrection. And that Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And that he is condemned and that he is defeated at the cross. And we see this exactly as what the Holy Spirit does. If you remember the first sermon that was ever preached by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, and he told this gospel of the person of Jesus Christ, of the sinfulness of the human heart, and of the power of the resurrection. And in chapter 2, in verse 37, it says this, Then the people, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every time this word is preached, that is the work that the Holy Spirit does in your hearts. It's what he did in me as a boy in Ballycastle when the Reverend David Armstrong spoke at an SU meeting. And I knew that conviction and the rightness of Christ in the gospel. And it transformed my life. It's what June was talking about when she gave us her testimony, when she went to England and she heard the gospel and it transformed her life. And it's what every one of you who know Christ have experienced. And it's what we want everybody to experience. And if you haven't heard it, if you are hearing the Spirit today, we want you to respond because it's from condemnation to salvation. It's from following Satan to following Jesus Christ. And it is profound and deep and works powerfully in your life. That is what this work does in the world, the Spirit does in the world.
Now, I have to say that sometimes, and I just make this as an aside, um, I remember reading the biography of George Whitfield. And I have read the biography of Luther, and I've read the biography of Charles Wesley and, um, you know, John Newton. And when you read their biographies, when you, when you read it, you will find that after sometimes for weeks, months, and years, they are convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very powerful thing. They, they agonize over it. They are so deep and dark in their reality of what the Spirit is showing them in their hearts until this moment of truth comes when they see Jesus and they see their reality. And it seems to be that that deep conviction leads to a great love of Jesus. And the, the scriptures, Jesus said that, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And he who has been forgiven much loves much. But I do want to say that we're all individuals. And I, I suppose in, I was reading a book by Sinclair Ferguson about this and I just want to make the point and that, you, that that is not necessarily your story, and it doesn't have to be your story. But there has to be something of that sense of unease at sin in your life. And there has to be something of seeing the, the loveliness of Jesus in your life. It's not about the length of it. It's not about the depth of it. Because your testimony might be, I just saw how beautiful Jesus was. I just wanted to follow him. Covenant children often do that. They just step, as it were, into the kingdom. So I just want you to know that. And also the purpose of this, by the way, is to really humble us, to cause us to bow our knees, because it causes us to see Christ rightly and brings us thankfulness for the work of Jesus in our lives. So we are different, and we will respond differently. But at the same time, we do need to know that sense of conviction in sin, in righteousness, and judgment to some degree. So secondly, I'm going to look at this next part, and I'm going to do this very quickly. I realize that was quite a lot. So the second part is the Holy Spirit's work in the disciples in verses 12 to 15. And this is something I think you can speak about yourselves, um, and you can work this through um, Let's look at verse 13, if you have it there. Um, the Spirit, when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide. He's talking to the apostles, by the way. He's not primarily talking to us. You know, you have, you know, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he lead you into all truth. He's speaking to the apostles. That's the first thing. Chapter 14, 26, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to teach and remind the, Spirit, the, the apostles everything about Jesus Christ. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 26, so that they can testify about me. So Jesus is aware that the disciples have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence, the Spirit of truth, and he will guide them into all truth. It's not, by the way, about guidance. It's not about guidance in our lives. It's about knowledge of Jesus. He will teach us who Jesus is. That's what verse 13, I think, is saying. You'll see there in verse 13 that he will tell you what is yet to come. Again, the commentators are divided on this, but I'm going to just go with, is he speaking about future events? I want to say, yes, he is. And I say that really from Revelation and the idea of the letters to the churches, because the churches receive a word from Jesus. That's what it says. All those churches receive a word from Jesus. But at the very end of the letter, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. In other words, he's guiding them, leading them into truth about the future, as it were. And, and a lot of people will say that that is just knowledge about what's about to immediately happen but I'm happy to leave it at that. Verses 13 to 15, the Spirit speaks only what God the Father and Jesus the Son say. And so we're repeatedly told of the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And verses 13 to 15 also note the words, and this is really the point I want to leave you with. Note the words speak, tell, 
and make known to you. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is about communicating the words of Jesus to the apostles so that we can be fully assured that the message of the gospel about the person of the Lord Jesus is accurate. So really, in essence, folks, what these, these, um, these verses are saying is that the Spirit reveals Jesus, reveals his teaching. And that is why we have the, the Gospel of John, for example. That is a practical outworking of what the Spirit has done. It has revealed to John the person of Jesus Christ and his teaching. And that is why in chapter 20 of this same book, in verse 31, it says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Folks, that is an incredible reality. So he convicts the world that they might be saved, and he reveals to us that we might know Jesus and his salvation better. That is what he's doing in both situations. It is a wonderful and necessary provision. As Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Let's pray. Father, these are profound moments, and they are profound moments because we have heard from you, our Father, from the Son, the Lord Jesus, and from the Holy Spirit. And Father, we are presented with the person of Jesus Christ in all his glory. And we're presented, Father, with him in his resurrection and ascension and power. And we're presented with him as our king and lord of the kingdom that we belong to. And Father, they're profound because that brings an allegiance in our hearts that is not of the world. And the challenge for us is to know that and to be able to live it. And Father, it's, it is for our good that we know this because it brings us to salvation and it brings us into the kingdom of God and it brings us into a way of living that is good and pleasing and perfect. And Father, I pray that you will take your word and, and you know, let it uh, marinate, I suppose, as a word or, uh, you know, be cultivated in our hearts and that we will truly think about these things and think, how can we live for Jesus in this world? And Father, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in obedience to the word of God by the power of the Spirit. And I pray, Father, that, if, you know, that we will know the power of the Spirit working in our friends and in our families and in our work colleagues, and in the surrounding area, and in all those that you bring us, that they might know Jesus, and that they might be saved. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship him as we give our offering to him, and we'll be singing, I am who you say I am. Uh, let's take this time to pray for others. Father God, we pray to you who is all-powerful, Lord. You are the creator, God. You created the world. You created the galaxy, the solar system. And yet, Lord, you are not a, not a distant God, not a God who is far from us, but a personal God and a God who delights to listen to our prayers. And we can see that even, Lord, in how your son Jesus intercedes for us to you. 
Um, and so we follow that example as we, we intercede for others. First of all, Lord, we want to pray for the, the Cochrane family and the church in Porto. Um, we pray for the work that they are doing there um, among the Portuguese people um, and, and the rest of the people there in Porto. We pray that you will, first of all, sustain the family in their work there um, and especially in their leadership as they minister to the church and as they think how to best um, be a light for you um, in, in Portugal. We pray as well for both Leopoldo and Ligiani and also the Humphreys family as they serve you there and as they get involved in, in the work of your church. We particularly pray for the three small groups um, that have recently started their Lords, um, for the leadership there and for the content of what they're going to study. We also pray for the congregation that they would be emboldened to invite people who are not currently part of the church into these groups and that this can be a means of sharing the gospel with them. We also pray for their work with their teenagers and younger members of the church as they plan to set up a discipleship group and that those younger Christians would be encouraged, that they would be built up um, and that they would ultimately become better disciples for you. We pray also for the young adults of the church and those who are maybe a little bit older, that they would be able to take on leadership roles in this ministry um, and that through that, that they would bless the lives of the younger members of the church. And we also pray, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity that they have to have a church retreat. Um, and we pray that that would be a time of relationship building um, and of encouragement and also discipleship for the leadership and also all of the church members. And also, Lord, we pray particularly for the people of, these, of this church who are, who are sick or who have lost someone. We pray for those who are in need of medical treatment, who are in hospital, um, or who need encouragement for, for dealing with loss um, and dealing with death in that sense as well. We thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God, that you, you care about us and that you are close to both the sick and the bereaved, that you care about them, that you have not abandoned them. And we pray as well, Lord, that you will help us as a church to, to do the same, to follow that example and to truly care for all of those who need help. And above all, Lord, we pray for those people who are suffering, who are going through difficult times, and we pray especially for them that they will remain in you as the true vine and as the source of our eternal hope. So Lord, we lift all of this up to you and we pray for it in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, Ethan. I love that little phrase, the source of our eternal hope. That's a big thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing in whatever happens to us in life. So let's stand. We're going to sing, O Breath of Life, Come Sweeping Through Us. Love this hymn. Let's pray it for our church, of course, and pray it for ourselves as individuals. O Breath of Life, Come Sweeping Through Us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Folks, just to remind you that we are upstairs, uh, back to our normal, uh, no, downstairs, sorry, uh, but uh, downstairs, uh, back to our normal routine for tea and coffee.